first this morning. And this month, while we're fasting, I'm going to be talking about spiritual fervency. That's what we're going after. Today's message I've entitled as push. Why don't you give the person next to you just a little push. Just a little, a little push. All right. That's many people, uh, you know, have made push into an acronym, which is pray until something happens. I like that. So, so this morning is that. All right. We're talking push. And what I, what I'm going to do is I, I just want to look at three stories in the Gospels, three stories in the Gospels, and we're not going to look at them in, in completeness. We're just going to, we're going to dive into just little parts of each of these three stories, and we're going to look for a common thread that unites them all together. And you're going to see this word push come through over and over again. And the, the first story that we're going to look at is the story in, in John 2 where Jesus turns water into wine. Somebody say Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, that story gets the religious, you know. It's just like it messes everyone up, you know. Um, there was so much symbolism in that miracle. We are those jars of water. Uh, and water is fragrantless. It's, it's colorless. It's tasteless, really, I guess, as well. Hey, and it, I mean, we love it, but, but it is, you know, what it is. It's just plain. And, and, the, and they took six jars of water. And the moment they started pouring out, the water had turned into wine. And wine is, is rich in color, rich in fragrance, rich in aroma. And that whole miracle symbolizes what Jesus came to do in our lives. He came to transform us from the inside out, turn our lives into something that was actually fragrantless and aromaless into a beautiful fragrance unto God. That, so that was the whole point of the miracle, okay? And... And in this miracle, I want us just to zero in on verse 3 to 5, where it says the following. Where G, uh, the mother of G, Jesus, Mary, comes to Jesus, and she says, um, well, it says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine, which is a disaster at a Jewish wedding, all right? And the woman, and, and he says, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Can we just pray for a moment? Father, as we get into the word, I ask you would help me articulate your heart this morning. Holy Spirit, just breathe on this and, and let your word go forth into us and enable us and empower us for what's, what's to come. Amen. You know, sometimes... When we read scriptures like this, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I was like, Jesus is rude, man. <laughs> he is so rude. Woman, why do you involve me? You know, my time has not yet come. And, and sometimes this is not the only time in scripture where it seems like Jesus is being rude. We're actually going to go to another scripture where it seems like he's being ridiculously rude. Where it's like he's, he's like almost insulting. We're going to go look at that now. It's going to be our third scripture this morning. But in this passage, when you look at this, it looks like he's being rude or he's being abrasive or he's trying to push people away or something like that. And the problem is that we know Jesus. We know his love. We know his passion for us. We know that he died for us. We know that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that joy was us. So how do we merge this amazing, loving, kind Jesus with sometimes these statements like, woman, you know, why do you involve me? What, you know, why, why, what have I got to do with this? And 
And we must remember that when Jesus was on earth, he was one of his primary objectives, his primary purpose was to show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His whole life mission was to show us who God was, who God is, all right? To show us who God is. So if we, maybe you had a picture of God in your mind before, and and maybe it was like, you know, he's distant and he's removed. Jesus came to change that opinion. He came to show that God is with us. God is near. God is involved. God cares, okay? So when we look at Jesus, we understand who God is, the Father of, the Father's heart for us. So in this passage, you know, what he does, what's interesting when you look throughout scripture, sometimes God says things like this, or he poses questions to us, like, why do you involve me? Not because he's being rude, not because he's trying to push us away, not because he's being abrasive or anything like that, but because he's trying to get something from us. You know, God, God doesn't ask questions because he needs answers. <laughs> he knows all the answers. <laughs> all right? But sometimes he asks a question because he's looking for something from us. Like when he came looking for Adam in the garden, Adam, where are you? Do we really think God didn't know where he was? <laughs> he knew exactly where Adam was, hiding behind that bush. You know, he wasn't going, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. The question wasn't for him. The question was for Adam. He wanted Adam to take stock and, and find out where, notice where he was. Okay? So in the same thing here, we see another question. Why do you involve me? What is the response that he's looking for from Mary? Well, in that question is, is, is really, there's, there's so much theology in this question, okay? There's so much theology. Now, I'm just going to, I'll try to keep it simple for us this morning, okay? Why do you involve me? One of the biggest obstacles to going for God is that we think that he's not involved in our lives, that he's actually not interested in our lives, that our issues are actually trivial to him, and that why, you know, our, our problems and everything are, why would he even notice us? Why would he even notice what we're going through? Does he, you know, do, should I take this to God? Well, he's probably got better things to be doing. And this is just, you know, my, my life is so small, so meaningless, so whatever. And so he's saying, why do you involve me in this, in this like issue, this, this thing over here? And the response that he's looking from Mary is, she, she responds in exactly the right way. She pushes through the, the doubt of, is God actually involved? Is, does God actually care about my life? And she doesn't even answer him. And she just says to the servants, do what he tells you to do. <laughs> she knew his heart. She knew that was exactly the response, that exactly the right response. And, and so one thing we have to know is when we're going for God, you're going to have these obstacles in your mind and in your heart. And one of them is this, is that maybe God is not that involved in my life. Maybe God is not that interested in my life. Maybe, you know, I'm praying for this thing, but maybe it's not that important to him. And I want you to know that you need to push through that. 
You have to push through. It's almost like it's a test. We have to push through that and go for what we know is the heart of God, that He is involved, that He cares about the wedding and the fact that the wedding needs to work, or that you, the car is broken down, or that you need some finances for your studies, or that you, I don't know, that you need some new clothes this year, or that you, you need Him to come and heal your kid this year, or you need to choose a school this year, that's good, or, you know, just all the things of life, these things that we, we think are so trivial and do we really bother God with him? This question here is, yes, he's involved. And so you need to push past that and realize that he's interested in every area of your life. He's intimately involved in everything. You can bring anything to him. Amen? Three amens. That's great. Okay. Story number two. You got to push through. Story number two is in Mark 5. And we're going to jump into the story in verse 24. It says the following. Maybe I just, I just got a thought in my mind before I get there. I was hiking in the Drakensberg with a few friends a couple of years ago. And while we were hiking, we lost the car key in the mountain somewhere. We realized when we got back down the hill and we couldn't get into the car. We immediately hit the track again, all right? Two hours, whatever high. We hit it again, fast, looking, searching, searching. There was, I mean, it's just bush. You know the trail. So a single path. There was no way. We came back down. We had to get a ride back to our accommodation. We had to leave the car there. We're completely, like, upset. It just ruined the day. What are we going to do? How are we going to get this car back to Durban now? You know, it was just towing, finance, everything. It was a, it was a disaster. And then that night, uh, I, didn't, I didn't actually even feel like I could pray about it. I mean, you know the, the feeling. Well, you just feel like, this is so trivial. Can I actually bother God with this? We've lost the key. I prayed a half prayer. Lord, please help us. <laughs> just so I could pray. <laughs> Lord, please help us. The next day, somebody arrived at the hotel. Where we had parked our car, there was some stables. And there was a farmer there. And they, they went back up on the path. They found the key on the mountain. And they came and brought it to us. When they delivered it to us at the breakfast table, God spoke to me and said, Do you think I don't care about the key? And I had to repent. And I was just like, You know what, Lord, I'm so sorry. You care about that too. He cares about whether they ran out of wine at a wedding. He cares about your kid. He cares about your business. He cares about your finances. He cares deeply about everything. So you've got to push through that thought. Amen? Because it can stop you. All right? You got to push through. Mark 5. Let's go to the next story. You still with me? Yes. Okay. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. Like, just Bible scholars, just pause there for a moment. Bible scholars tell us that this issue of bleeding that she had probably meant, because when, when a woman goes through her cycle and she bleeds, in the old day, in the Old Testament, they were considered as unclean, and they had to 
they, they had to like remain indoors and away from people. They were unclean. And the fact that this woman had continual bleeding for 12 years meant that she was seen as permanently unclean. She was probably ostracized by society. She was pushed back. So she was alone going through this problem. And not only that, she was getting worse. Not only that, she had spent all her money on doctors. So we're looking at a really desperate situation here. But when she heard about Jesus, come on. When you hear about Jesus, man, and what he can do in your life, everything can change. She came up behind him in the crowd. Now look, it says in the first verse there, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. She came up, so she's pushing through this crowd. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And we know the story. She was healed instantly. Jesus felt power go out of him and and said, who touched me? And we know the story. Um, But you know what I want you to notice in the story is that sometimes we go through life and there are disappointments. There, there, we go through tough things. This woman was going through something that was really difficult. I mean, these are tough circumstances. Finances are going. Health is not there. Ostracized by people. I mean, she's almost like, she kind of, name all the bad. She's going through it. Okay? And sometimes what can happen in our lives is that there can be this cloud of failure, this cloud of disappointment, this cloud of uh, just bad stuff that's happened, and it can almost become like a climate around us. It can almost become this kind of like um, this atmosphere that we carry with us wherever we go. And like there's no expectation for good. There's like, I've tried that, it's failed. I've tried that, it's failed. I've tried this, it's failed. And so it, it can become this atmosphere of discouragement and disappointment that we carry around us. And this woman had every right to just stay inside and be completely depressed and throw herself a pity party and say, woe is me, why is God so unfair to me? Why is my life so tough? She could have done that. She could have just stayed inside and just, you know, just said, well, maybe this is my lot in life. Maybe this is, this is, maybe this is just my family going through this. I go through this. This is nothing. I, I don't have any expectation for good. I'm not speaking to anybody this morning. You can almost settle in this place of despair, this place of like where, when you think about 2019, man, you actually just don't even want it to start because of 2018 and 2017. When you think about your business and, and making it successful, you just have this, oh, I've tried everything. I've tried, I've tried this. When you think about applying for varsity, I've tried, I've just been denied, I've denied. And you can almost settle into this place of discouragement and despair. But this woman teaches us that we should never stay there. She rose up. And that crowd that was around Jesus, I mean, like, (laughs) it wasn't even easy for her to get to him. (laughs) It wasn't even easy. There was this crowd. I, I think that crowd represents that atmosphere that sometimes surrounds our lives, where it seems like, where there's so much holding us back from a breakthrough or from a healing or from a deliverance or from some sort of answer or touch from heaven to come. And yet she pushed through. Can you say push? She pushed 
through that crowd to get to Jesus. And what we learn here is if you push through, you break through. If you push through, you break through. She pushed through and she broke through. Many people were telling blind Bartimaeus, be quiet, be quiet. He kept shouting, Jesus, son of David. And the people were saying, be quiet, be quiet. He kept pushing through. He kept crying out. He kept crying out. He, kept, he didn't give up. He pushed through until Jesus came. He said, what can I do for you? And he received his eyesight. He pushed through and he got the breakthrough. There's so many other examples in Scripture of people who push through and get their breakthroughs. We have to learn how to push through. Amen? Third and final story, Matthew 15. This is the example where Jesus almost seems totally rude and obnoxious. Okay? This woman has a problem with her daughter, and she comes to the disciples and they tell her to go away, and she keeps bothering them so much that they come to Jesus and they say, this woman will not go away. She keeps bothering us, she keeps bothering us. And then Jesus answers her and says to her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. She pushed on. Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. (laughs) First, Jesus says to her here, I'm not available. I was sent to Israel, not to your people. She pushes through. And says, Lord, help me. And then he says, you don't qualify. It's not good to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. In other words, you don't qualify for the healing you're looking for. You don't measure up to the standard for the deliverance that you're asking for. Because of who you are, you, you, don't, you don't qualify. I've come for other people who are qualified, not you. This woman pushed through the thought that I am disqualified from the grace and the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. She pushed through that. Don't, isn't this something that you and I battle with as well? Whenever I say, like, like, how many of you know that when you start, you want to go pray? Say you want to go pray, what are the first thoughts that normally come to mind? Let's say you really need God to do something. The first thought that comes to mind are everything you've done wrong. How much you haven't prayed. How much you should have been reading the Bible. How much you feel guilty for not coming to ask Him to, for help when you haven't actually been doing maybe some of the things that you know you should be doing. The, one of the biggest obstacles to coming to God and going for God is this thought that somehow maybe I'm excluded Somehow, maybe I don't qualify for the goodness of God. Some of you are looking at me like, like really? You, yes, really. You have this thing. You know what I'm talking about this morning. So when we talk about God, we know He's holy. We know He's righteous. We know He's amazing. He's perfection. But we also know us. 
And we know our faults and we know how unworthy we are and how everything. And, and remember, Jesus wasn't being rude here. He was testing. He was looking for something from her. He was looking to see if she knew that he really was merciful. And he responded and he healed her daughter. And he said to her this, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. In other words, faith is about pushing through even your disqual- what you think are your disqualifications for the goodness and the mercy of God. Many of us here, yeah, we write ourselves off and say, miracles, yeah, that's maybe for somebody else. You know, a, a breakthrough or finances or whatever or the blessing that I read about in Scripture, maybe that's for somebody else because I don't feel like I actually qualify for that. I want you to know, church, this morning, that you qualify, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And you need to just settle that in your heart, that He is merciful, that He is gracious, and that when you come and repent and you put it all, He wipes you as clean, He throws it from the, as far as the east is from the west, He remembers it no more, He gives you a clean start every single day of your life, and you qualify for the blessing of God. You qualify for the goodness of God. You qualify for the mercy of God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You qualify. I want you to get this. Look at somebody this morning and say, you qualify. Some of you, some of you have disqualified yourselves. Some of you don't think you're worthy enough or good enough to get the favor of God in your life. How many of you want the favor of God in your life? And we all want it, yeah? We all want His favor, His, His blessing in our lives. But what stops us from actually accessing it is this belief that we really don't qualify for it. And this is what Jesus was doing in this example. He was pressing her to see if she knew, if she knew how merciful He was, that He actually causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. <laughs> that He allow, that, that that's how far His mercy goes. I want you to just mark it in your heart today that you qualify for the blessing of God. You qualify to have a life of peace. You qualify to have a sense of fulfillment as you walk through this life. You qualify for healing in your body. You qualify for healing in your soul. You qualify for blessing and prosperity over your home, over your job, over your career. You you qualify for that. Jesus qualified you so that every blessing would be yes and amen. Every blessing in Scripture is available to you. So the only thing that's stopping you from experiencing it is your ability to push through to get it. Amen? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm going to get a push now. Amen. 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 God loves it when we are bodaciously bold, when we come and humble ourselves and we go for the best for our lives. When we go for, man, where we, we, we know we, we haven't done it in our own strength, but we, but we have such faith in the cross of Christ and the favor of God in Christ that we can 
boldly come to a throne of grace and find whatever help we need, no matter what the season of life and no matter what we're going through. He loves bodacious faith. He loves us to press in, press through, press, press past. Listen, if anyone doesn't qualify, it's me. I don't even deserve to be in this pulpit after the life that I lived before I became a Christian. Look at me, I'm here. I'm, I'm a testimony of the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. There's so many people who won't believe that I actually do what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> They'll be like, huh? <laughs> Seriously, I did a wedding recently, and, and there were a number of friends that, and they were like, why is Wayne in the front? <laughs> and then I got up and opened the Bible, and they all went, <laughs> no way. Yeah, I'm the minister. <laughs> the grace, the mercy of God is rich, it's deep. You'll never find an end to it. God doesn't disqualify you. Why do you disqualify yourself? I want to encourage you this morning, church, have a push. Have something inside of you that says, you know what, I'm going to push past the thought that maybe he's not involved in my life. I'm going to push through the, the cloud of disappointments that I've gone through, the difficult circumstances that I've gone through. I'm going to believe that there's a miracle that I can get, that can change everything, and push past the thought of that you're disqualified, that, you're, that somehow you're excluded from the blessing of God because of who you are and what you've done, and that you would push in and reach through to Jesus and see heaven touch earth. We need to push through if we're going to see a breakthrough. And as I said, there's so many examples of this in Scripture, but I just want to share just a quick example of what happened recently in December. Some good friends of ours, um, Richard and Jackie Mungavin, who passed at Anthem Church in Durban North. How many of you, ra- raise your hands, you know the story already. It was in the newspapers. Okay, just a few of us. There, on Christmas Eve, there were uh, his wife, Jackie, and their daughter, Kiara, who's 13 years old, was in the front seat. They were driving to church. She was actually on her way to preach at a Christmas Eve thing. They were hit by a motorbike, and it smashed the windows in the car. The impact was so big. It hit Kiara's head, and Kiara collapsed into Jackie's lap. And they rushed her to hospital. She had immediate brain surgery where they had to remove fragments of her skull from her brain. The prognosis was, was so bad. After the surgery had happened, um, the next day, on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, all right, Christmas morning at like 7 in the morning, they had to rush her back into surgery because the swelling in her brain was, was so massive. They rushed her back into surgery to cut a huge chunk of her skull off her head, place it in her abdomen, so that maybe one day they can sew it back onto her head, but so that the brain could, could expand uh, under the pressure that was going through. It has a 90% fatality rate, that surgery. We got the call on Christmas morning from Richard saying, pray. <laughs> that was so bad, sorry. <laughs> it was so hectic. I've never heard a father so desperate in all my life. My daughter's about to die, pray. 
So it was like the whole of Durban prayed. <laughs> in fact, we prayed so much, people arrived en masse at the hospital, that the hospital even gave uh, everyone their own ward. They gave us a prayer ward at the hospital. <laughs> prayed for seven days straight. Some of Kiara's friends did 60 hours straight of prayer. They even walked around the hospital seven times for seven days, all right, surrounding that hospital in prayer. There were other healings that actually started taking place in the hospital. But on day seven, the the prognosis was this on on Boxing Day. I just want to read it to you. It was so hectic. She says, level two coma, life support keeping her alive. Her brain has severe damage. Her brain stem shows some sign of life, so she's not brain dead. The prognosis is that if she lives, she will be in a vegetative state for the rest of her life. That was the doctor's prognosis on Boxing Day. After seven days of massive prayer, and she's now awake, she's off life support, she is talking, she's reading, she's doing puzzles, she's walking assisted, yeah, we praise God. I mean, we're taking it every day as it comes, but it's an absolute miracle. Doctors are calling it a miracle. you know, her speech, there's some fine motor skills that are missing, some speech that is missing, you know, but it's coming back. <laughs> um, but you know what, what I, I, I learned from the story is that they push through. You know, sometimes it's just so bad and so discouraging. They pushed through so much. There was a prayer until something happens. There was a, there was a rising up on the inside of so many people. Prayer rose. There's still 24-7 prayer happening in the hospital. There's a roster system where the people are just coming in and out 24-7 praying in the hospital for her. And, um, and it, for me, this is another example of, of how we have to push through to get the breakthrough. And Romans 12 says this, verse 11. Are you still there? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The word spiritual fervor there in, in the Greek is zoe, it's zo, zoho, sorry. It's to be hot. It's to boil. It's the, the imagery is of hot metal in the fire glowing. All right? It's, it's a pot boiling with water. That's what spiritual fervor is. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Keep that push inside of you. That's that thing inside of you that says, but God. That thing inside of you says that with God, we can see a difference, a change in our lives. The opposite is complacency. It's apathy. It's indifference. It's a lethargy. It's lukewarmness. And we know that is just no way we should approach God. <laughs> that is no way we should, we should live in relationship with God. We're passionate about so many things. We need to be passionate about God, passionate about prayer. And spiritual fervor, one of the ways we can measure that we got it is if we have this push in prayer. Amen?